everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the third Friday of the month, which means it's time for The Doctor Is In. This is our monthly Q&A, where Dr. Ron Weiss, an amazing plant-based doctor, answers the questions that you have submitted in advance. Please welcome him to the show. Hi, Dr. Weiss. How are you? Hello, Chef AJ. And by the way, uh, you know, that doctor is entitled. You know where that comes from? Snoopy, Peanuts. Yes, it does. Uh, from the, uh, remember, Lu was it Lucy? Yeah, she was like doing like psychiatry. Yeah, five cents. Yeah, isn't that funny? But did you know that my first practice was called The Doctor Is In from that? I did not know that. That's, yeah. that's something. Well, and, and, and you know what? This is a lot cheaper than five cents because we're answering all the questions. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> How yeah. can you get cheaper than five cents? You really can. You, you can know? with Chef AJ. But yeah. the reason why I called it the doctor is in was because we were open seven days a week until midnight from 8 a.m. until midnight, seven days a week. And I was the only doctor. Wow. And we saw everything, every human being possible with every complaint from, from pregnant women to day old babies to 105 year old people with orthopedic problems and GI problems. And so it was, it was just everything all the time. The doctor is in. That is something. I mean, you just the depth and breadth of what you have to learn to be a doctor. You know, there's so many parts of the body. Yeah. And it's amazing. Even when I think about, there's so many specialty areas, right? I mean, and there's a reason for that. It's like, it, you can get, you know, I can understand a, a, a topic broadly enough to help people. But if you have a serious problem, that's very detailed, you need to go to a specialist. I don't even know what areas they're dealing with in a lot of the time in specifically very deeply, profoundly detailed areas. It's, it's tough. Wow. Well, you know, I, 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 you know that carnival game, uh, whack-a-mole, where you, you hit one and a million pop up? That's how I feel. Like you get so many questions because people just want you to answer their questions. Well, that we get through a slew of them and then- Well, I love that. Up. You know why? Because that's what truly a primary care doctor does. A primary care doctor, is a specialist in everything. Uh, like, uh, like if you're building a house, you need a general contractor. And, you know, we can, uh, uh, an experienced primary doctor can handle 90% of everything that comes in the door expertly and better than, um, and more cost effectively than a specialist can in those specific areas of their specialty. But it's that, you know, so I, I enjoy the breadth of these questions and all comers. Well, great. Thank you. All right. So speaking of questions, the first one we will start right away is about uh, high cholesterol. This is from Cheryl. She says, Dr. Weiss, I've been plant-based and SOS-free since September 21st, probably I'm guessing last year. My LDL cholesterol remains around 120 and my MD wants me on medication. I have a strong family history of heart disease none of that for me, extremely healthy, active 69 year old. I have side effects with statins. Hmm. Well, that is an excellent question because um, it's a very common uh, issue. Uh, you know, I remember reading in the 
in some newspaper or media outlet a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago, that statins were coming becoming so popular, Chef AJ, that someone joked that they would be put into the water supply soon. Because uh, really what they are is they're one of the probably the most proven major medical intervention that is available across all the fields of medicine that actually has been shown to have a benefit when people with high cholesterol use it. Use it. However, that's a, with a capital H, however, they're downsides. A, which I'll get to in a second, and B, it, generally speaking, when you eat a diet of whole plant foods, you can lower the cholesterol better than being on omnivorous diet and um, taking a stack agent. So um, in this young lady, she talks about her LDL being 120. Yes. She, she, which, and for those listeners who are not 100%, uh, um, you know, experienced with the normal reference ranges. So there is a, a total cholesterol, okay? And then uh, it's made of what, as Dr. Clapper says, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That total cholesterol is made out of a good component that's called the HDL that cleans the arteries, a bad component that's called the LDL that clogs up the arteries. It has the opposite action of HDL. And then uh, sort of um, the ugly person who is uh, triglycerides. And that, um, that we're, we're not quite sure. We know it's not good to have elevated triglycerides. It's associated with insulin resistance and diabetes and probably maybe cardiovascular events in and of itself. So that's why we call it ugly. It's, it's not exactly bad, but it's, it's getting there. So uh, in any event, um, those are the three components of the cholesterol. Now, this, this uh, woman states that her LDL is 120. So the federal allowance for normal is up to 100. So I would consider that to be um, a mild elevation of bad LDL cholesterol. And um, um, she, unfortunately, we don't know what her good cholesterol is, the good component, do we? We don't know what the number is, but let's say if she would have a very, very good HDL good cholesterol, that more than makes up for a mild to moderate elevation of the bad cholesterol. So uh, that would, um, that would if, if that HDL was pretty high, and sometimes it can be very high in some people, that would obviate the need for statins. Um, let's see what else. The other important thing to know uh, in the patient before you um, give, decide to give them a statin is what is the inflammation situation like in their arteries? Because that, because heart attacks and cardiovascular events, I believe are more a factor of inflammation brought on by diet. It is not predominantly a factor of bad LDL cholesterol. And so this young lady is eating, a, 
she's had an SOS free diet, right? A whole plant food diet and still can't get her bad LDL cholesterol below the federal limit. Um, but as long as her inflammation, and you can measure this inflammation with blood tests, um, for the listener who wrote this question, you can ask your doctor to run a cardiac CRP test. And, and there are other tests that, that go alongside it, but that's the major one. And if you have a very low value on this, I, I am not worried about your family history. It doesn't matter. That shouldn't be the driving factor as to whether you should go on a statin agent. It's inflammation. Number two is the bad cholesterol. Um, we have to remember Dr. Esselstyn's famous saying that your genes are the bullets loaded into the gun and the food that you're eating or lifestyle that you're conducting, that's what pulls the trigger. So um, everyone in every person's family, they have some genes that are not so good. In your family, it's you know, heart attacks. In another family, it's breast cancer. In another family, it's diabetes. It doesn't matter. As long as you're eating that SOS-free, high-level diet of whole plant foods, uh, I personally would not start that statin. Uh, and especially if you, um, if you have very low cardiac inflammation markers. Uh, the last thing I can tell you is there is a formula to decide whether uh, you should numerically go on a statin. And that is formulated by the American College of Cardiology. It's a risk calculator of whether you're gonna go get a heart attack in the next 10 years. Um, and so you can use that and there are specific cutoffs on that risk calculator. Um, we don't, definitely if you were, uh, had a risk of below 10% and you had good inflammatory markers, I don't think I would start the statin. A below 5% is very, very desirable. So in any event, that's, I think I talked myself out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you really feel? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Oh, oh, can I say one other thing? Oh, you can say whatever thing. you want. Uh, uh, because I forgot in, in part A of part B of the second part of the question, the answer I was giving. Remember, I said there's some downsides to taking statin agents, and you have to remember that. Um, here are the downsides. Um, there is an increased risk of development of diabetes from taking a statin agent. And once, even if you stop the statin agent in the future, that risk probably does not go away. Um, there have been reports and concerns that while taking statin agents, older people can have uh, memory issues. Um, and here's really the biggest philosophical downside to taking a statin issue. Um, Dr. Furman likes to say that Taking a prescription like this is a permission slip uh, emotionally. It's a permission slip for you not to be mindful all the time and eat an SOS high level diet. Because once you're on this drug that knocks down your cholesterol low, eh, you become a little lackadaisical and, and more freewheeling. So that's those are all the reasons why I think 
that it's disadvantageous to take a statin agent. Well, thank you for that. So uh, this is a question from Brenda. Dr. Weiss, I'm desperate for any information you can share about my condition of trigeminal neuralgia. I'm 56, 5'5", 128 pounds, eat whole food plant-based SOS free and have done so for years. Diagnosed with this for six years, it's completely idiopathic, occurs about once a month. It's like an ice pick in my right temple, it's lasting continuously for six to 14 hours, unrelenting. I also experience a total shutdown of my body and I'm completely incapacitated, freezing to the bone and lay in bed with ice pack for pressure on my right temple. Are you aware of others with these symptoms and why does mine manifest in this way? Yeah. So there are some things in the world of medicine that are notoriously difficult to deal with. Some diagnoses, and this is one of them. Um, and the reason why is um, it is one of the most, it is supposed to be, thank God I have never experienced it, but it is supposed to be one of the most painful experiences humans can endure. Um, and as this lady said, it's like someone is shoving an awl into your eye socket. Uh, it is very, very painful. So, um, and for some of the situation, for some of the patients, um, there is no known specific cause. We don't know what the reason is. Um, I have had uh, several patients with trigeminal neuralgia. And basically what this is, is that the trigeminal nerve is a nerve that is called a cranial nerve. It comes out from the deep center of your brain and it comes into your face and the outside of your skull. And for reasons we don't understand in many people, and remember that word, in many people, we don't know why it gets irritated. We do know why it gets irritated in, in a, a portion of the patient. And I'll get to that soon. But in, in a good number of people, I don't know exactly what the figures are, if it's a minority or somewhat of a majority, we don't know why. And then, you know, it, it basically deals with all kinds of experimental treatments, getting the areas injected and doing all kinds of things. But, um, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult. People have tried Botox. They've tried all kinds of things. I personally have never noticed in, the, in some of the patients that I've had that a diet of whole plant foods is effective for this. So here's the good news. In a significant portion of these patients who have this terrible uh, trigeminal neuralgia, and imagine this, if any of you have ever suffered from migraines, a word, um, imagine the worst migraine you could possibly have. This is 10 times worse than a migraine. Whereas migraines are one of the most highly treatable headaches with a whole food plant-based diet, I have found almost foolproof. Um, as I said, they don't, I've not noticed them to have a significant effect on the trigeminal neuralgia. So we let's get back to the hopeful news that in a, in a, in a good portion 
of patients we do know have identified a cause for the trigeminal neuralgia. And that can be deep inside your head. Remember, I told you that this trigeminal nerve and tri meaning three, it branches into three branches deep inside your skull case. But in, right, where, right where it branches deep inside your brain, there can be a, a blood vessel that leans against and impinges upon the nerve. And if that is demonstrable by an, a special MRI that is obtained by a neurosurgeon who deals with these issues, they can decompress the nerve, which means they can take the vein or the blood vessel off of the trigeminal nerve so it's not pressing against it. And that can be curative of the terrible headaches. So I personally have sent a, a patient to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where a dear friend, family friend of mine is the head of neurosurgery. He's the chairman of department, Dr. Henry Bren. He, Bren, he's one of the best neurosurgeons in the world. And they have a department that specializes in doing this. So I don't know where this woman is, but... Uh, it, you know, with trigeminal neuralgia, it would be worth getting on a plane flying to, to Baltimore to check this out. Dr. Henry Bren, the Department of Neurosurgery, he's not the one who does the surgeries, but his colleagues do, and they're very experienced in it. Great. Thank you. That does sound like a horrible thing, but I mean, it, I mean, she's getting it once a month, which I guess is better than having it every day, you know. Yes, but it's unpredictable. Yeah, it sounds like there's not even really pain medicine for her when this happens or anything. Yeah, it's horrific. Gosh, I'm so sorry, Brenda. I am sorry too. I mean, I know. This but hopefully, hopefully, if they find this condition, you you can be cured potentially. Wow, I mean, so water fasting. So and and well, so that's the other thing. So, well, first, a couple of words. First of all, let's make sure it is trigeminal neuralgia. So in order for it to be trigeminal neuralgia, I'm assuming this lady went to a neuro, an experienced neurologist because there are all kinds of headaches that exist, an experienced neurologist. And then you may even want to get, if you're near an academic center, a second opinion to make sure it's trigeminal neuralgia. And once that's assured, I would, I would try to see if you have this compressive a situation that can be relieved with surgery. Here's the thing. You mentioned fasting. When I have a difficult situation, Chef AJ, where I can't help the person anymore, I always think about Dr. Goldham and whether, because we go to fasting when we're at the end of it, we have no more answers for other kinds of lifestyle and food. And I would be interesting. Maybe, um, do you talk to Dr. Goldhammer often? Often. Oh, you would. Can you ask him and maybe you can give us an update? Ask him ask if, him he, if he has any cases. Okay. Dr. Goldhammer, True North, has the largest series of, of um, fasting patients in the world ever, ever studied. Listen, ask why don't I just, why has... don't I email both of you at the same time? And could you? Trigeminal neurology. Oh. Yeah. If, if okay. We could as a, soon as we get off the show, I'm going to send a joint good. email, and then because I'd rather have him, you know, yes. cut and then out maybe the middle. You can, we can just pick up with it. Yeah. He's done a lot. He's had I don't know, like forty thousand yeah. patients. Thank yeah. you. This is from anonymous. 
And, um, the, you know, the second part of the question really touches my heart and is poignant, and I'll explain why in a second. But she says, I, Dr. Weiss, I had gastric bypass surgery 20 years ago, and I have trouble with keeping my hemoglobin above 11.4 and ferritin in the normal range. What can I do? Is there a preferred iron type? I'm whole food plant-based SOS and eat greens every day for almost two years. Presently, my hemoglobin is 9.8. My doctor hasn't mentioned this lab result, but usually just tells me to take iron. I just started taking iron with vitamin C two times a day. My heart rate is higher when I do my usual 2.5 mile daily walk when my hemoglobin is at this level. Is there anything else I could do? But then here's what she says. She goes, if I had known about calorie density in the pleasure trap, I would never had surgery. Thank goodness I found Chef AJ's book and program. Even after weight loss surgery, I could not keep my weight down. Chef AJ's way of eating to the left of the red line is the only way to keep weight off and lose weight. And I appreciate that anonymous. I know your name, but I'm not saying it because I, I, you know, obviously you can't go back in time, but for people that are considering this operation, if they could just learn some of these principles that you don't necessarily have to make your stomach surgically smaller when you understand you can make your food bigger. You yes. know, and uh, I, my heart goes out too. Um, you know, because sometimes, oftentimes, when you have a surgical procedure, you can't undo these things. Uh, however, I think, you know, as a physician, I see many people who've undergone a lot of surgeries and procedures and stent placements and bypasses and joint replacements, all kinds of things. Um, I think the important thing, Chef AJ, is what you said. I tell patients, always go forward. Don't look back. Uh, be positive and imagine uh, what opportunities you have ahead of you to prevent all kinds of amazing things and to have a good life. And you can, even with the, this gastric surgery. So um, look, you will be preventing coronary disease and cancer and, and everything else. So I thank God you found uh, Chef AJ's message and uh, it's a, it, it works. That's all I can tell you. So, you know, the stomach, one of the reasons why I don't refer patients for gastric surgery is because I believe that mother nature and a creator has designed us to as a, a complete biological system, which is very complex. And each little part and every molecule works together, every organ system. There is a reason to have your stomach there with a certain size and amount of acid in it. For example, it's necessary to have a stomach with the right kind of acid and, and sizing and functioning to absorb nutrients. And probably the reason why you are low in iron is because something is going on after the surgery with maybe your stomach is not making that much acid anymore, or maybe parts of it were removed that make the acid. And so the absorptive, the digestion process has been interfered with. And now you are not absorbing enough iron through your regular means of diet. But listen, 
it's okay. Go forward. Right? Don't go back. Don't be upset. Be, I always tell the patients, look at the silver lining. You have this beautiful food and you're going to live and be well for many, 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 many years. Take an iron supplement. That's it. That's all you have to do. Um, there's an over-the-counter one, which is I like very much. It's called Slow FE. You can get it. In the old days, when doctors used to, in fact, I did this many times when I was an intern and resident as a young doctor, I used to prescribe oral iron because they came by prescription like uh, ferrous sulfate. And I always found that it was upsetting to the patient's stomach. It co could cause constipation, abdominal pain, because iron is tough. But this iron I like very much. It's, it, it's, it's, um, it's, um, uh, it's put together with a protein coating on it. So it's gently absorbed into your system. I've never seen anyone have any problem with it. And then some people might be thinking, but Dr. Weiss, isn't iron a pro-oxidant? You know, people are always trying to take antioxidants. Antioxidants are, are anti-inflammatory molecules that protect our body from aging. Pro-oxidants make it age, make it cause tissues to degenerate. And potentially it is, but you don't have enough of it. You have a deficiency of it. So I don't believe that taking the iron will put you in a pro-oxidative state. By the very fact that you have anemia, that means, and you told us you had a low ferritin level, which is the storage form of iron. It means that you don't have enough iron totally in your total stores floating around. You need iron, take it. One last thing, I would maybe go to your doctor or a nutrition specialist, a lifestyle medicine nutrition specialist, and maybe have them look around to make sure there are not other deficiencies that are being missed. Um, because you wanna make sure once the stomach was altered that there are other uh, vitamins and minerals that, that are, are not being having a problem. So that's the only other thing. And I would say, go and be well and, 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 and just go forward. Thank you. Nice. Well, this uh, this is actually about a dog, <laughs> and you may not be the expert, but you can always give your opinion. And it's from Ruben. So, Ruben, I'm going to be having a veterinarian on the show. I don't know exactly when, but we've been in touch, and he could probably answer this just as well, and not maybe better. But since he did say Dr. Weiss, he wants to know if dogs can thrive on a vegan, hundred percent plant based diet, and if there's been research done to support this. Um, well, uh, I do know a little bit about this. Um, so our family does have a dog. I, I, I tried to get the kids and, and, uh, my wife to, uh, make the dog plant-based, but eh, it never worked out. So our own dog is just eating, yeah, eating dog food. Um, however, I have, uh, uh, well, I know a gentleman uh, who is a leading vet veterinarian in New Jersey and had a weekly radio show. Uh, he's very popular. And I had conversations with him. He said, absolutely. 
He said dogs are can be completely vegan. He said um, he said you can't do that with cats because cats are obligate carnivores. Um, they, uh, they they will perish because they can't get specific nutrients without having meat. But the dogs, they you can have them completely plant based and vegan. And I can specifically tell you that. Um, um, I don't know if you have Dr. Furman on recently. Um, I have him on quarterly. Okay, the next time Dr. Furman is on, he'll be on in July about his dog because I know that he he's almost completely vegan. I think Dr. Furman gives his dog just tiny occasional morsels, uh, very few, but it's like ninety five percent he is, and you know he's been doing well for many years. That's great. I'm going to, I'll figure out, uh, Dr. Furman, what day he's on. And I'm going to mic myself a note. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I can't remember what his dog's name is. She's a little. Ren, Irene or Ren, something with an R. Cute little dog. Is it Ren or Reen or Rain? Rain. Is it Rain? Rain, Rain. Rain. Okay, great. I'll find out when he's on and I can announce yeah. this. So this is a really interesting question from Laura. Dr. Weiss, what doesn't typical blood work like CBC, basal metabolic and liberal pa panels detect? If one is obese or has eaten the standard American diet for decades, what other tests would you suggest? It seems going by good numbers for common tests alone lead many people, even doctors, to believe one is in excellent health, when in reality, there's dangerous unknown issues forming or existing that typical blood work doesn't test for. This is one of the best questions that has ever been, uh, we've ever covered, Chef AJ. And the reason why is because it gets to the heart of an enormous controversy in our nation. And that is, I don't know if, if the listeners are aware of this, but for the past decade or so, you know, the purpose and the validity of going to your doctor and getting annual blood work, which includes these basic tests that this woman wrote in about, you know, the complete blood count, the chemistry, the whatever, you know, PTPTD, a blood thinner, thyroid, had, urine has been called into question. And the whole physical, including the annual blood work, has been called into question as to whether it's worthwhile. And because the data does not show that it is. Uh, an annual visit at your doctor, the conventional doctor, okay, uh, with an annual set of blood work as described by the listener has, has, is not shown to be beneficial to your health. That's what the data showed. So uh, I'm, what you're saying is, is right. Of what value is it? Um, and actually, I'm, you know, I have to, this thought is coming to my mind. I'm, I'm wondering if some of the federal authorities like Medicare, not Medicare, but maybe some actors in the federal government are considering as to whether to maybe make this a recommendation that uh, the annual physical not be performed because it is not data-driven to be benefit. It's, it's not shown to be beneficial. So I agree with you. Just for the average person getting a CBC, now that what that includes is complete blood count. It basically looks at how many white blood cells you have, how many red blood cells? Are you anemic? Uh, and that's about it. Uh, it, it, it. 
Although it, it does look at white blood cells and your, the types of white blood cells, you would have to be on death's doorstep to, for it to show like a deficiency or a problem in that complement of white blood cells. I mean, you'd have to be very sick and threatened. For the average person going for a physical, I almost never see any problems. And um, the next test you mentioned was the complete metabolic and that includes like a sugar, it includes your kidney function, it includes liver tests, it includes electrolytes. So that I do find a greater benefit and gives us more information because we have a diabetes epidemic. And often, most often, but not always, it, that sugar, this single glucose number will be awry if the person has a problem. Um, I also find that a benefit because there is a hidden epidemic in our society of, of subtle and increasingly progressive uh, kidney degradation, renal function decline. It's kind of silent. And that test kind of gives you an early warning that maybe your kidneys are not so good. And maybe I would say when we do that routine test, the complete the, the metabolic panel, maybe if I were to do it on 100 people uh, coming into the office, ooh, I would say maybe 15%, 20% don't are not have some kind of problem. They're not in the best range of kidney ability. So, you know, that, that would be a problem. So, and then there are other things. I, you know, the, the cholesterol, we talked about that before, the total cholesterol, the bad, the good, the ugly. I mean, that is, I think that is useful to get on a regular basis. And a urine they get usually, and maybe a thyroid. Eh, thyroid, you know, that's the common difficulties in there. But that's the complete set of blood tests. So I don't really find that they are useful most of the time. And I, I find that the blood tests that are useful, that do give windows into really uh, a general state of health and are predictive uh, as to whether people will get certain diseases, the major diseases like cardiovascular events, diabetes. Um, well, those are the, the major ones maybe with some suggestions of Alzheimer's or, or, or perhaps even cancer or frailty of old age. The major tests are inflammatory tests. They're tests that look at inflammation and tests that look at insulin resistance. And you can get these tests at LabCorp or Quest. You know, the major labs have these tests. Um, so, and I get them. I get them. So when our patients go for their annual or initial blood test, we LabCorp, which I, I generally send them to, draws about 12 to 14 tubes of blood, Chef AJ, on the, on the, from one visit. And it's because a lot of these tests are uh, run uh, by, let's say, the Cleveland Heart Lab and other labs, and they have to go all over the place. But I believe it's a quite an extensive evaluation and worthwhile uh, in its predictability. And um, it gives the patient a, a good idea of, of whether something is going on that may have been missed. 
You know, it's interesting because she had mentioned in the question about what if somebody's obese and eating the standard American diet. And I think I've heard Dr. McDougall talk about this once because I've actually known a couple people that have come to my classes that that were, you know, morbidly obese, meaning, you know, like more than 200 pounds over their ideal weight. But yet all their tests were normal. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have diet. No, that's not. We. First of all, it's unusual. I would right. say because I get a lot of blood tests. It is unusual to have somebody who is obese on a standard American diet that had all the tests I just told you about. I don't ever remember seeing anyone where there weren't flags in the secondary test I told you about. It's very easy to have be obese, standard American diet, have a normal, every, I told you, you'd have to be half dead before you had an abnormality in your CBC. Yeah. The, the, the chemistry that I told you about with the sugar, sure, there are obese people who don't have diabetes a lot. There are people who smoke cigarettes who don't have lung cancer. There are probably more people who smoke cigarettes who don't have lung cancer than do have lung cancer. So sure, that's possible. I just don't think that those blood tests are valid. And, and I would be we know that being obese and eating the standard American diet is devastating for your health. So yeah. don't don't rest assured in those normal CBC and chemistry yeah. tests. Thank you. Okay. And like I said, you know, it was, I mean, this particular person I'm thinking of didn't have high blood pressure. She didn't have a high A1. It was just know. unusual. Like you know this. what I call that? What? Chef AJ? That's called luck. Luck. <laughs> yeah, that's luck. Maybe she did have good genes. Maybe she didn't have the bad genes. She had the good genes. Like we were talking about that with Dr. Essel before. Maybe it's like I say, there's a guy who gets drunk and drives down the highway without his seatbelt and makes it home. And he didn't get thrown through the windshield. That doesn't mean that driving drunk without your seatbelts was a good idea. It means he was lucky. So don't depend, don't, don't base your life on luck and health. Right. Be, right. yeah. Determine your own health by eating and lifestyle. You know, it's just so interesting to me that the longer I'm in this space, it seems that almost there's a few people like Dr. Alan Goldhammer and my husband that get this information and go, this is a good idea. But it seems like almost everyone waits until it's either too late or almost too late to turn the ship around. You know, like the something has to happen. True. And is that just human True. nature? You know, uh, it is human nature. It is human nature. Uh, I can't, you know, uh, you know, there's so many, we're, you know, we travel in groups of people, not only plant-based people, but people who are um, eating hot dogs or the standard American diet or doing whatever. And um, even if they, even if they know that, let's say uh, this disease was reversed or you did this, I think the pull of food is so profound that they can't detach themselves from it, even when a gun is put to their head, literally. Uh, and, and sometimes even when that gun is put to the head, the people will keep going. They will go to their grave, um, knowing, you know, not taking the path to a disease reversal. Food is highly addictive and yeah. it, it, you know, the pleasure trap. Yeah, I love that. It is the pleasure trap, and then the, the pleasure, trap. pleasure trap, the greatest force that undermines human health and happiness. Yeah, yeah. and and the other thing, do, do you know what? I had a patient who said, 
uh, after being through a year of doing this and, and you know had great difficulty of trying to change at the end of the year he said dr weiss he was very sick with all kinds of things which were completely reversible but that bad coronary disease bad diabetes bad and and he he could have reversed it he said dr weiss i would rather live one more year and eat chicken parmesan and as many cheeseburgers as I want and, and enjoy eating it and then die of a heart attack, then live another 20 years feeling well and having to eat greens and bean sprouts and salads and, and those plants without salt and oil all day long. Just let me live one more year. I think that says a lot. Yeah, I've heard that. I'd rather die try. than eat. I'd rather die than eat blank. Remember that cigarette commercial? I'd rather fight than switch. I'd rather die than eat. Yeah, blank. that that is the pleasure trap. Yeah, right. That's the dopamine it in your brain is driving you to eat that, and it's a neurotransmitter problem. You can't. You have to lift yourself up, snip those wires, and start eating plants and keep going. Because if you keep going and you keep doing it dedicated in a high way for a year, those, those uh, reflexes become muted and then you can keep going like you did, right? I mean, what was your favorite? You were a pastry chef, right? Oh, yeah. Well, no, my favorite. <laughs> what was your favorite, your favorite on this earth, your favorite food from your old life? Oh, my God. God, there was so, I mean, you can name it every candy. Pick one. Tir tiramisu, tiramisu, chocolate chip cookies, Coke Slurpees. Okay. So if I put the world's best airing, like it was floating on air, tiramisu with the powder on it, so delicate that, that it just, you know, and if I put that in front of you, would you today be, have a, would you wish you could eat it no. or have any desire that you would want to eat it? No, I wouldn't. I mean, I might. What would your feelings be? About? Well, you know, I, it's funny that you said this because I literally just got back from speaking at the Seattle Veg Fest after not speaking in public since before the pandemic. And you, I'm sure you know that Veg Fests are code for crap fest. There's not a single yeah. fruit or vegetable or anything yes. I can eat. Exactly. So I eat all my delicious food. I had an Airbnb, but you know, you walk up and down and you know, there's a part like I'm, I am human and there's a part of me, you know, I have smell and sight and I hear the crunch and I'm like, oh, it might be kind of fun to eat there. And there was one thing that, that just kind of attracted me and they had nachos and there's just something about you know the that nachos that you know I sometimes feel like god I wish I could eat some nachos you know because there's just and I did once in the last 10 years but they were at a raw vegan restaurant and the, instead of uh, corn chips they were made from jicama um, it was still pretty high fat and decadent for me but yeah I mean no I'm not going to compromise my health but but I mean I'm not immune to it if I'm if it's in front of me I'm not going to say hey that doesn't look appealing, but no, I, I don't think I would succumb. I would hope not. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm just interested in the degrees of the emotions yeah, that, I mean, that, you, just, that flood through you when you, when you're confronted like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, I don't want to tell this joke now, but it's, but, but it, I compare it to like, like a, a beast that have to be celibate, you know, we, we're still, we're still human. And, you know, and when everybody else is indulging and saying, oh my God, this is like the best thing and you smell it and you see it. That's why I control my environment. Like Dr. Doug Lyle says, and I very rarely put myself in those positions. Right. 
in your yeah. house, in your mouth. Exactly. But I will say, you know, I still think, you know, Joe's man. And I gotta, I gotta come up with like a healthy, healthy version that I could eat. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure you will. And I will. And so, but I'm just saying probably not so much the desserts because, you know, this is interesting, Dr. Weiss. I find desserts too sweet for me now. I am so sensitive to sweet now that like bananas like last a day here because the next day they're too sweet. So I wouldn't be so interested in the dessert, but something fatty like the nacho, you know, might kind of like knock on my little pleasure trap. Let me ask you a question. When you were in front of those nachos, Mm-hmm. Like when you're standing there and you're thinking, you're smelling them and you're thinking about them, you're hearing the crunching and you're imagining that in that moment, it says, you say to yourself, should I, yeah. like, could I have one? Should I? But I know what, I know the thing. I know how it ends. I, I, you know, bet you can't eat just one. I can't eat just one. So therefore, you know, there's a saying, one bite is too many. A thousand bites is never enough. Is You know, I can't control the second to the thousandth bite. I can only control the first bite. That's why abstinence is bliss. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. But but you know what? But in that moment, when you, as you're deciding, and you you pick the high path. I think there's for and, and I experience this in my life. I think the downer is is a sense of deprivation. Yeah, you're so depriving well, yourself, and that is what feels so terrible. It's yeah. de- deprivation. Like I realize that you know my kryptonite, my my thing was pizza a cheese, thin Italian, thin crust Italian pizza. And and I realized that in, in a very significant episode I had years ago, that um, I realized what I had problems in controlling, you know, what I was going of, of you know, trying to not eat food like that, because uh, I felt severely deprived in that moment when I just decided I wasn't going to do it. And it 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 it's it short lived. It it for me, I mean, the deprivation did go away in about ten minutes. You know, when you start doing something else, or you start thinking about you get engaged in something else. You're not thinking about the pizza or the or the nachos anymore, right? Like t- ten minutes later, someone's talking to you. Or you're doing something else up there. Could you care? No. But in that moment, the deprivation is sense of deprivation, very powerful driver. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they call it FOMO, fear of missing out. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So here's a question from Jerry. Uh, Hospitalized in August 2022, diagnosis were 5.6 centimeters hiatal hernia and GERD. Tissue exam showed gastric antral mucosa with mild chronic gastritis and esophageal go gastric mucosa with chronic inflammation, H. pylori was negative. I continue to take the prescribed dose to 40 milligrams of pantoprazole daily, but the GERD seems to be getting worse. What can I do to stop the progression and heal? I'm currently eating whole food, plant-based fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grain, drinking water and green tea. Thank you so much. Well, um, so it's always a matter of 
the degree to which you're doing this, right? So Chef AJ, about half of all the patients who come to us here in Long Valley, they're already plant-based. They say they're plant-based, you know, either plant-based whole foods, vegetarian, you know, whatever, and they have GERD and gastritis and diabetes and high blood pressure and coronary disease and all the stuff and high, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to not have. So the question I pose to this gentleman is, what level are you whole plant food, whole food plant-based? Because quite frankly, in my experience, I have not yet to see a patient, okay? Okay, I'm just trying to think back over thousands and thousands of patients. I've yet to see somebody who was on a high level whole food plant-based diet and had GERD. Uh, you know, for those who are listening, GERD means gastroesophageal reflux disease, G-E-R-D. And it's the fancy medical name for heartburn, where acid washes up from the stomach where it is supposed to be lying in a pool into your esophagus. And it gets past a doorway, which is supposed to be shut, called the gastroesophageal sphincter, the GE sphincter. And then this gentleman, it's obviously open. It should be shut. And the reason why it should be shut is the esophagus, which is the tube that connects your throat and your stomach is very delicate and it can't take acid in it. The stomach was built to contain corrosive acid. It has a very thick lining, not the esophagus. And the esophagus is damaged when acid washes up. That's why the door is there. So this gentleman says he has a hiatal hernia. Hiatal hernia is when a piece of the you know, imagine this, the esophagus is a long tube or sleeve that goes from your throat all the way into the, through a hole in your diaphragm, okay, which is like a floor that separates your lungs, chest from your abdomen. And there's a hole through which this pipe goes and connects with the stomach. Hiatal hernia is when a piece of your stomach slips through the hole and actually enters the chest cavity. And, you know, there's so many people with hiatal hernias. Um, it's not clear, you know, I have many people who've gone whole food plant-based, they have hiatal hernias uh, and they did fine. Um, I have people who have hiatal hernias and they, it's an incidental finding. They don't have any problems. So, what I, what I always like to tell people is just because you see something on an x-ray or endoscopy or test like a hiatal hernia, it doesn't mean that that's causing your heartburn because of what I told you. I've never seen it not go away, regardless of whether you have hiatal. So my advice to you is to go high, go high level. And, and if you're not already, and that would mean eating a vegetable base, focusing on dark leafy greens and vegetable-based whole foods, plant-based diet um, with plenty of legumes, um, healthy starches, uh, fruits, um, and make sure there's not a drop of oil. No oil, because make sure you're not eating out in restaurants because restaurants have hidden oils in them. 
and you can't tell what you're getting. And if that oil gets into your stomach, and even if you think you're eating vegan, you will have heartburn with your hiatal hernia. So don't do that. And what I would do is I would give that a shot for a month. Don't go to restaurants, make all of Chef AJ's recipes, eat a lot of vegetables, cooked and raw, and see what happens. By the way, don't drink green tea. The green tea, you must remove high-level plant-based whole foods diets don't have coffee in them, okay? And you should avoid green tea because caffeine opens up the door of your that sphincter that separates stomach and esophagus and allows acid to go up. So don't do that. And, um, you know, the last thing I can suggest to you is just be aware. There, You may have specific, although I don't really have a problem with this. It's taught in medical school that there are specific foods like, tomato products, onions, garlic, peppermint, things like that, that can encourage citrus, that can encourage heartburn. So uh, after I go whole food plant-based with a diverse diet, if you're, and cut out all the caffeine, don't go to restaurants, no oil, no salt. If you're still having heartburn, then take out those items I told you, the citrus, the peppermint, the tomato products, the, the alliums, the garlic and onion, and then see how you are. Um, the last thing I can tell you is pantoprazole, which is the cousin of Prilosec or omeprazole, or all these, these, they're called proton pump inhibitors. You can get them over the counter now, are not safe medications to take. And the reason why is because they, we think they cause osteoporosis. They're associated with decreased bone density. And now we think that they allow, when you chew food, you're masticating the food and the food gets mixed up with your oral bacteria. Your mouth has enormous amounts. It has its own ecosystem of bacteria. You chew the food, the food drops in through the esophagus into your stomach. Guess what the acid's supposed to do? Kill those oral bacteria so they don't go on to seed your lower gut. When you take pantoprazole, you stop that. And so oral bacteria may start to grow down in your, the lower reaches of your intestine. Uh, and if there is such a thing as SIBO, which Dr. Greger says there isn't, I have my questions too small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Oh, now that's yeah. interesting. Maybe I know you have to go soon, but maybe yeah. talk a little bit about that next time, even if there's oh, not. Yeah, a this may be, you can imagine if you have inappropriately grown back to mouth bacteria in your small intestine, ooh, that's not going to turn out well. And I believe that, that taking medicines like this help to cause that. And definitely these mouth bacteria then get, can get into your colon. It's now suspected that resistant clostridium difficile, which can be a life-threatening resistant bacterial infection that causes colitis, can be associated with uh, taking these drugs because the, the C. diff spores are in the, our environment and they're killed by stomach acid. And when you don't have enough stomach acid by taking these medicines, they can then go and start growing in your colon and give you colitis. So. It's complicated. Wow. Yeah, try um, not to take those medicines. 
Wow. I, I know you have to get back to uh, yeah. some patients. You have time for a quick one. This one, yes. I, it's not about a disease, so it might be pretty quick. And this is from Annie. Dr. Weiss, for whole food plant-based, where does one get collagen? Huh. Well, I, I'm guessing is that Annie want collagen for her skin? Well, I don't know. You know, a lot of, there's like, a lot of people take it. It's like a supplement. I think bodybuilders but, take it. But, but a lot of people take a lot of things. Yeah. Most supplements have been proven not to be, to not to work. They're not beneficial. Um, and our body makes the collagen it needs. Just eat a diet of whole plant foods, you know, and be healthy. You, you don't need to take supplements or extra stuff. Collagen is a protein. Your body will make whatever you need. Don't look for supplements. I, okay. It's not to say I would never take a supplement. I take a supplement when somebody is deficient in something. I've never met a person who's deficient in collagen. As long as you're eating enough protein and enough, uh, where do you get your protein from, uh, Chef AJ? Humans that ask that. I'm joking around with you. No, I know. I, I... But as long as you're eating a good, well, you'll make enough collagen. Don't worry. Absolutely. Thank Well, I'd love for you to talk. You talked about supplements and, you know, people are always worried that they got to take a DHA supplement. And, and I, this is the first I heard that SIBO may not be real. So maybe you could kind of touch on that next month. Of course. Yep. Wow. It's so fun talking to you. I love talking to you. Yeah, I love being on the show. Well, you're, that's why you're here every month. So thank, well, thank you so you much, so much. Doc. Thank you, Dr. Weiss. Okay, Chef AJ. I told you I'm yeah. going to get some new hats for you. So <laughs> please. Yeah, I'll look forward yes, to you're getting, the next getting one. tired of the old ones. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Weiss. And thank you guys for the great questions. And thanks so much for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time with Dr. Nandita Shah. She's going to be discussing is type 2 diabetes a life sentence? Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.